Welcome to the weekly podcast of Calvary Chapel, South London, a church where the truth of God's word meets and transforms the reality of our daily lives. We hope you are impacted by this week's teaching. Good afternoon, everyone. My name is Mark, and I'm going to be sharing a word with you this morning, or this afternoon. Um, I'm going to pray, and then, uh, amen. I hope that's, I hope that's for Jesus, bruv. Uh, I'm going to pray, and then I'm going to ask Brother Jide if he will come and read our text for us. If you want to turn in your Bibles to Jonah 3, the whole chapter, we'll be reading that, Jonah 3. Please join with me as, as I pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you this afternoon. So grateful, Lord, for life. Lord, so grateful for breath. So grateful for the sunshine. So grateful for the sunshine. Lord, we thank you for your goodness to us. You continually rock us, Lord. Those who know you intimately, Lord, those who are in relationship with you, continue to praise you because you are good and you are faithful and you are sovereign. You reign over all things, Lord. You reign over our lives and you reign over the lives of even those who refuse to surrender to you at this point. One day they will. Lord, we thank you that today you desire to speak to us through your word. Lord, I pray that you would help me, Lord. I have nothing to say of myself. Lord, would you help me to speak? Lord, would you help me to stand? Lord, would you help me not to run? And Lord, would you help my brothers and sisters and those who are visiting with us, those who don't know you, Lord, would you help us all to hear from you today? And Lord, would you do a work in us as we hear your word? Lord, would you change us, Lord? Would you activate faith in us today? In Jesus' name, amen. So Jonah 3, 1 to 10. Brother Jude is very kindly, lastminute.com. Thank you. Jonah chapter 3. Chapter 3, and I read. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. So Jonah rose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days' journey in breath. Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey, and he called out, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast and put on sackcloth, from the greatest of them to the least of them. Verse 6. The word reached the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. And he proclaimed it, and he issued a proclamation and published through Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles. Let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water. 
But let man and beast be covered with sackcloth, and let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. 10. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it. Amen. Thank you. Thank you, brother. I hope you're not too put off by the fantastic uh, keynote to my right. Took all of seven minutes, um, as you can see. You have to work with me. So a long time ago, I was going out with a girl of my dreams. It's quite some time ago, 41 now, a long time ago. She was beautiful, funny, kind, passionate, compassionate, and she made a mean shepherd's pie. What more could a man want? But seriously, I'd never felt, genuinely never felt so loved. I'd never felt so blessed as I met this young lady. But sadly, you know how it goes, you're in a relationship and before you know it, you get complacent. You, know, you stop putting on the aftershave, you stop making an effort. Because in your mind now, you have this person. This person is there, they're committed to you. They're a, um, a pr- not a prisoner, but they are, they are, they're at, <laughs> wrong, wrong, wrong turn of phrase. They, but, they, but they're not going anywhere. They're committed to you as far as you're concerned. And you begin to relax and take advantage. That's what I did anyway in this situation. To the point where... I was going out raving and partying. My friends became more important than she did. And as a result, after a a long time of long suffering on her part, the relationship finished. She ended with me, and I was devastated. I was gutted. And all I could think about, I was consumed with the thoughts of another chance. I wish I had another chance. Like Jonah, I deserve to be kicked to the curb, labeled a fool and a waste man. Is that word still used now, waste man, side man, whatever. But God was gracious and merciful to me, and he gave me another chance. And by his grace, that girl that I didn't deserve became my wife. And she, amen. (laughs) Jonah too was shown grace and mercy and given another chance. And grace and mercy runs throughout what we're going to be talking about today as the title hints to grace and mercy for sinners. Grace. What is a grace? What is grace? A definition of grace. God's goodness towards those who deserve only punishment. And at this point, I want to remind you of last week when Brother Ayo stood here and uh, he shared some things about me. And and I'm I'm now going to get an opportunity to extend grace. Okay. God's goodness to those who deserve only punishment. Mercy. Mercy is God's goodness towards those in misery and distress. And think back to Jonah. Jonah needed both. He needed grace and mercy, didn't he? He deserved punishment. He was in the the sea. He deserved to be there. He deserved to die. He needed God's grace, but also he needed God's mercy to deliver him. He was in distress. 
He needed God's mercy. Grace and mercy, these two go together. So we're going to be looking, as we go through our text in uh, chapter 3, at Jonah's obedience, Nineveh's shocking response, and God's magnificent mercy. First, let's look at Jonah's obedience. So we read in verse 1, notice down in your Bibles, the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time. And if you're not careful, you'll read on and miss the significance that lays within the details that have gone before. So as many of you know, if you've been here over the last few, few weeks, Jonah had been running away from God in the opposite direction. God had called him to a mission and he was running in a completely opposite direction. He was a prophet, not just any guy. And a prophet was called to speak the very words of God to the point where if you were a false prophet, if you spoke something that didn't happen, you were stoned to death. Such was this office. So obedience was the, 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 the first, to be the first mark of a prophet. But Jonah ran in the opposite direction. But God, in his loving mercy, brings Jonah's life on top. In his discipline, crashing down around his ears by using a storm which nearly takes his life, doesn't it? We looked at that. And it would have done had God not provided a means of salvation which was in the fish. And it's in the belly of the fish that Jonah, like the prodigal son, comes to his senses. He remembers the Lord, it says. He cries out to him. And with a repentant heart, Jonah confesses his foolishness and remembers his vow to God. That God is the source of salvation. Salvation belongs to the Lord, as we looked at. Brother Ayo shared with us last week. God commands a fish to vomit Jonah safely onto dry land, alive. A miracle. Jonah's full of miracles. And this really could have been enough for Jonah. This could have been the end of it. You know, it could have been... You can imagine if you're an apprentice fan, this is the point where it's with regret, you're fired. And let's bring in Amos. I'll go into business with Amos, who was a contemporary at this time, or any other prophet. Really, he doesn't deserve to be, you know, God saved him. He doesn't deserve now for God to reinstate him. But that's exactly what ends up happening. He reinstates Jonah back to the privileged position of a prophet. And what a privilege it is. And I have to keep reminding myself of that. It's a privilege for any of us to speak on behalf of God. As much as often it seems like a burden or it seems like something different, something we want to run from, but actually it's a privilege to speak on behalf of God. It's a privilege for you as a believer to share God's word with somebody else who's lost, who's where you were, who has no hope. We've all rebelled against God and some are here today, maybe still in a place like Jonah was, you're running from God. You're running from what God's calling you to do. Yes, you're his, you're, you're, you belong to him, but you're actually running in the opposite direction. You're not doing what you should be doing. You failed to serve him, and you need to repent. Not a, not a, not a popular word nowadays, hasn't been for some time, but it's a, a wonderful word. It just means that we turn away from sin, and we turn towards God and his mercy. What can you do if you're here today, and you've continued to rebel against your parents, Any? Young people in here? No, obviously not, only me. You rebel against your teachers. Authority figures in your life, you're not trying to hear them, you're not interested in it. What can you do? Well, you can turn to God in his mercy, run to him, and receive grace and mercy. Cry out to God. Some of you might be feeling snowed under the weight of your rebellion. And you know, You're in a situation where you've said sorry so many times, you're sick of hearing it yourself as it comes out of your mouth. You're like, Lord, you know what, just, just, just throw me in the sea. Just get rid of me, Lord. 
I've had enough of it because it's, it's clearly not sincere because I keep ending up back here. But like Tim said earlier, this, that's, your, that's your loaves and your five fish. It's not perfect, but we continue to run to God. Where else are we going to go? We run to God for mercy. And, he, and the, the beautiful thing is, as we see with, with Jonah, he delights in giving mercy. He loves to be merciful. Remember that God had made a covenant with Abraham to be his God back in Genesis 15. And Jonah had entered that covenant through faith in God. And we now, as believers, enter the new covenant through faith in Christ and his perfect shed blood, which atones for all of our sin. Now, notice in our text that the mission, back, notice back in the Bible, the mission in our text is still the same as it was in chapter 1. Let's read. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time saying, Arise, get up. Some of us need to get up. Not now. Wait, wait for another. <laughs> Don't all do that. I'll be here on my own. Um, but some of us need to wake up to what the Lord is calling us. We know that we're in rebellion. We know that we're, we're, we're turning a, an ear away from God. We need to wake up. Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. So notice the difference here between what was in, in chapter 1. It said, Arise, go to, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. So in chapter 1, it sets the tone and shows us why is God bringing this judgment, because their evil has come before him. Let's be reminded that all of our sin, all that we have done, there's a record of it. God knows all of our sin. No one's getting away with anything. There is going to be a time of judgment. They're evil to come up before God. And so the, the additional emphasis now here in chapter 3 is call out against it the message I tell you. That's, an, that's added, but it wasn't there in, in chapter 1. So this message is specific. God's got a specific message for the Ninevites. Jonah's not to roll up into Nineveh with his own plan, his own ideas, his own you know, special clever scheme of how he's going to reach out to these people. Today there aren't prophets like Jonah anymore, are there? Are there? Who literally hear the audible voice of God and speak God's words as God has speak, spoken it to them. But we do have God's Revealed word, don't we? We've all, we have all that we need in God's word. He has spoken already. And therefore, you think of preachers, me, myself today, anybody standing up and sharing God's word, their job is to communicate what God has already said. So similar to the prophet, but whereas the prophet was unable to, be, to make mistakes, he had to, 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 to speak the very words of God. Obviously now, preachers are fallible. They can make mistakes. But we are to endeavor to communicate God's word faithfully. But all of us as Christians are to be about the business of finding out what God's word says. Back to, it's, it's, I was talking to somebody the other day. It's the ABCs. It's the basics of Christianity. Read your Bible and pray. And yet it's those things that we struggle with the most. We struggle with those things the most. The so-called simple things. So we're to find out what the Bible says and... and with God's help, crying out to God, asking the Holy Spirit to help us to apply the teachings of the Bible to our hearts. Now, is our encouragement, is our conversation, is our advice to people coming from the Bible? Or is it our own opinions, our own, you know, we're, we're seeking to 
get puffed up in knowledge that's apart from what God's word has said. I'm challenged by this because all too often I'm not taking people to the scriptures as I should be doing. Now, I don't mean every single conversation that you have has to be, you have to be standing over a Bible in your hand. It's not a bad idea. But I suppose like the book of Eli, you want to get to a place where God's word is in your heart, isn't it? And it's coming out naturally because you've been spending time in God's word. And so that's what's coming out. And that's what's going to bring life to people. That's what people need to hear. They don't need to hear our words. They need to hear what God is saying. So the encouraging thing is there are some, hopefully many here, who are like that, who are doing that. You are endeavoring to spend time in God's word. And you're endeavoring to give godly counsel to people as they come to you. Realizing that, you know, what, you, what we have to offer is so limited. But we have the words of life here in God's word. So anyway, after the rebellion of chapter 1, here, back in chapter 3, in, and in verse 3, here's a breath of fresh air. It says, So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh, according to the word of the Lord. So he goes from rebellion to God's discipline, which comes because of his rebellion, to Jonah's repentance, and now his obedience. There's that cycle, isn't it, that we find ourselves in. In Hebrews 12, God says that he disciplines those he loves. I love my children. So therefore, I'm not gonna, they're not going to be rolling around the aisles of Sainsbury's screaming out, I want this. They're not going to be doing that because I love them. If I didn't care, they could do it. They could do what they want, but I love them. How much more God? That's why he disciplines us. Because he's a good father. He does it for their good, it also says. And now we see the fruit of that, which is, which is Jonah's obedience. Jonah's gone through, had this time of discipline, and now Jonah, Jonah wants to obey. And most of us know what it's like to be in this place after wandering away from God in rebellion, and then he brings a storm, doesn't he? Things come on top, it gets peak. We, 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 it, might, it, could be, it could be something simple like, I just don't actually want to go to church this week or the next week or the following week. Actually, I just want to have church at home. I'm quite cool where I am. I just want to do my own thing. That slow, like I, like I mentioned earlier, I think I left it out, but like a, the drifting of, on, on a lilo, lying on a lilo in the sun. And before, you started off at one place and before you know it, you're miles down. Drifting. It might be drink. We're turning to drink. And we have a drink now and again to kind of take off the edge to ease the pressure. Maybe it's pornography. We're going on the internet and continuing to gratify our passions instead of turning to God. And as we've been doing that over a period of time, it comes on top. Back in the day, I, I, to my shame, I, I was a drug addict and I took, used to take ease. And one time I took, took a, an ecstasy tablet thinking it, it was, that it was a, had MDMA in it, and it didn't have MDMA in it. It had ketamine in it, which they used to knock out horses. And this was, this was at the end of, I'd been rebelling, running from God, running from God, running from God, doing my own thing. Um, and this night here, it came on top, and I literally was driven to my knees in a toilet with my head spinning all over the place. I thought Sonic the Hedgehog was coming after me. There were helicopters out the win- outside the window. And I was terrified because I knew that I'd brought this on myself, and I honestly felt like God is given up on me. This is it now. This is the judgment. I'm in the sea, as it were, and this is going to be the end of it. I'm not going to come out. And I was clutching to my Bible, but God was merciful. He brought me through that night, and the next morning I was clinging my Bible, walking around Forest Hill, clinging my Bible, and I wanted to be obedient. Trust me, I didn't, well, wasn't interested in sin. You know at that point, isn't it, where it's come on top, 
And you'd want to be obedient now. You don't, you're not interested. I'm not looking at that. I'm not interested in it. No, you're not entertaining. You're speaking God's word. And that's where Jonah's back at this place now, back in a place of obedience. So Jonah had to travel some 500 miles to Nineveh, which could have taken up to 30 days or more. No cars, no buses, not even Nike air bubbles, mate. It's a long way. He was serious about obeying God. He's in that place where he wants to obey God now. Let's also not forget that Nineveh was a huge city. Walls 100 feet high, wide enough to ride three chariots on. A terrifying, intimidating city this was, particularly at this time. Notice in verse 2 that Nineveh is called that great city. And then in verse 3, it's called an exceedingly great city. Three days in breadth. And as Ayo mentioned last week, the Hebrew literally reads that great city to God. God looks at this huge city of sinners. And remember, as, we, as I think Pastor Rob shared, shared with us, these guys were brutal. They loved to torture. They loved to um, belittle their, their enemies. They were brutal murderers. And yet God looks at this city and he has compassion on it. He has mercy. Are we like that? Do we look to the needs of our own? It's easy to do in a city, isn't it? Lots of people, loads of people, and you think it'd be more, but actually it's, it's very easy to feel very lonely in a city, isn't it? Everybody, particularly a city like London, people are doing their own thing. And it's easy for me as a Christian to begin to adopt that kind of attitude as well. And if I'm honest, there are, I can look back and see the times where I feel like the the Lord has been saying, I want you to begin to pray for that group of people over there. And actually, I want you to think about actually reaching out to them and share the gospel with them. Remember, I was quite convicted and challenged when Brother Panashi stayed with us and lived with us. And this, this brother was often, it would be like the midnight. Oh, brother, I just feel like the Lord's just leading me to go peck him. You know, brother, it's midnight and it's peck him. <laughs> the Lord ain't, that's not the Lord. The Lord's not leading you to, no, brother, listen, there's a brother there. He wants me to, and he would go out and he'd come back and sure enough, he'd have a story of what the Lord had done. And even the guys in Peckham are like, brother, you know where you are? You think you should be doing this at this time of the night? And yet it's easy for me to look on at particular groups and say, actually, if I'm, if I'm honest, Lord, I'm not, I might not say I want them to go to hell, but actually I'm not trying to reach out to them. I'm not trying to be merciful to them because they don't quite fit in with, it's going to be quite difficult for me to share the gospel with them maybe, or they're not, they're, you know, they're not going to accept it. But God cares for cities. He cares for our city. Jonah goes through the city proclaiming a word of judgment. Verse 4. Yet 40 days and Nineveh will be overthrown. And the number 40 in scripture is often associated with cleansing and purging. Such as the flood. Think about the flood. 40 days and 40 nights came on the earth. And then the, the wilderness wanderings of God's rebellious people. 40 years wandering around. This is a short message though, isn't it? Seven words, I think it is, or eight words. Five in the Hebrew, apparently. It's a short message, but God's behind it. There's, a com- there's no command to repent or no hint as to what the punishment is going to be. We'll come back to this idea of overthrown a little later, being overthrown. So imagine God comes to you and says, you know what, actually, I want you, Sarah, to... Go to Mecca. I want you to walk up and down. I've got a message for them. I want you to tell them that in 40 days is peak for them. 
And it's not the God of Allah who's going to be, it's the God of the Bible. He's going to be bringing judgment. Well, we, the rest of us would be waiting to see you on Al Jazeera News, wouldn't we? <laughs> With a bag over your head. And we laugh, we laugh, but, it's, but the reality is, that's a terrifying thought, isn't it? And let's not, let's not, let's not, let's not forget that it's, it's a scary thing to do what God's calling you to do often. It's not easy. But we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. But let's not underestimate that this would have been terrifying for Jonah, even though he's gone on mission with the Lord before. Maybe he was pumped up, though, at the fact that, hold on a minute, God is, he, 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 he's, he's, I was reminded that he's the God over the sea and over the land and over everything. He, I was thrown into the sea. He delivered me from that. He, he provided, a, I was in the, in the belly of a fish for three days. There's nothing that this God can't do. But even so, let's not underestimate the seriousness of what God ask, is asking him to do. Now, we know that from the rest of Jonah, he didn't like the Ninevites, did he? He wasn't like me with certain groups. Um, he wanted them to be judged. He wanted them to be judged to hell. And so on one hand, he might have enjoyed the message. It's a message of impending doom. I mean, there's nothing, nothing where he's going to get an amen or yes, brother, keep going. Nobody's going to be saying that. Nonetheless, Jonah is now obeying God. and He's obviously trusting God for his life again. He's in a good place. For us, sharing the gospel can be a terrifying prospect, can't it? Let's be honest. For the most part, it's not life-threatening. For the most part. And yet we can find ourselves paralyzed with fear. The thought of being rejected or disliked or thought of just as a nutter, a weirdo. I mean, not we don't want to... We're called to be distinct and set apart, but actually we don't really want to. And who wants to be like that? We want to fit in. Naturally, we want to fit in. So actually, I'm not going to try and share the gospel at school. You know, I'll just try and live out the gospel, but I won't ever really talk about Jesus. They'll, they'll hear from somebody. We need to pray that we'd be more concerned with the souls of the lost than we would with our own pride. Romans 10, 17 says that faith comes by hearing. And how should I hear, prior to that, in 14, I think it says, unless someone is sent, unless someone preaches. That's how faith is ignited by hearing. So, next, Nineveh's shocking response. This little book is full of miracles and surprises, and yet the next verse represents the biggest of them all, I think, and one of the biggest in the Bible. It says, and the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. That is a miracle. This is no small thing. You think of Jonah. Here's Jonah. He's rebellious. He's doing his own thing. Deserves judgment. God delivers him. Sorry. He preaches a few words, unless there was more. There might have been more. We'll look at that in a minute. But from what we have here, he preaches a, a message of judgment, and these pagan people who hate God, they believe. They respond. Jeremiah, just as faithful as, well, even more faithful than Jonah, 40 years preaching, and people ain't having a bar of it. And that's his own people. 
They're people that, if anybody should respond, surely these people should respond. The Israelites, Yahweh is their God, isn't he? The contrast shows us it's not the skill, thankfully, or the flair, thankfully, of the preacher. But it's the grace of God at work in the heart of the hearer. Ephesians 2, 8 8 to 10 says, I'll just read verse 8. says, for by grace you've been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. Notice that genuine salvation begins with grace. God sends Jonah to Nineveh to warn them of judgment. Grace. And then this is always accompanied by repentance and faith. The people of Nineveh believed God. There's the faith. And then we get the real repentance seen in verses 5 to 9. Read with me. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast and put on sackcloth. From the greatest of them to the least of them. The word reached, that word can be translated struck, the king of Nineveh. And he arose from his throne removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. This was a picture of great mourning. Ashes reminds me, you know, I'm, my, my life is but dust. This is real, genuine. I'm in a place now, I want everybody to know, actually, you know what, I'm busted, I'm broken. All my pride, all, my, all that I had before that, that, I, that I lent on is all gone now. And he issued a proclamation and published throughout Nineveh, By the decree of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth. Man and beast, you know, and let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn, there's that word, repent. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Interestingly, he mentions that, isn't it? As I say, Assyrians, um, these Ninevites were known for their violence. Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we we may not perish. Now, it doesn't make sense that the king would call for another fast. You look at, we've got verse 5 and then verse 6. So it looks like the the chronological order is different. And what it seems like is happening, what commentators are saying, is that the the author is wanting to to stress that the reason... Verse 5 comes before 6. Really, it would have been the king who called the fast, but wanting to emphasize that the people responded to God's word. It's the message of God that they responded to, not the king. So it's not just like, oh, the king told us to do it. We've got no option. He's going to kill us. This was a real heart response from the people. This was genuine. So both the king here and then the, remember the captain back in chapter 1, they hope on the mercy of God. So, so that we may not perish, it's the same language that, as the captain used. So they don't know this God. And yet they're hoping that he's going to be merciful. Now we know that repentance is not what saves us. Well, I say, let me say that again. It's not, it's not by repentance, it's not a work of repentance. But it's actually, salvation is not by works of repentance, but it's by faith alone, isn't it? James says that, also, though, that in um, James 2.17, so also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. So there must be repentance. The two do work together. Faith and repentance. I believe, 
How do, I know that, how do you know that I believe? Well, I could, I'm not, from that point where I say that I believe, now you see the evidence worked out in my life. I'm following after Christ. Not perfectly, but I'm desiring to serve him. I meet with his people. I want to meet with his people. I want to read his word. Not always perfectly, but that desire is there. That's evidence. Hopefully you can look and say, wow, okay, how do I know Mark's saved? He said he was 10 years ago. Yeah, but how do we know? Well, he's still walking with the Lord. Okay, so right now, as much as I can see, it looks, this is looking good. Is your life marked by true repentance? Because if we're saying that we're Christians, but we're not living a life of repentance, and remember what repentance is, it's turning away from sin, it's making that choice, I, actually, here's my sin, I want to turn away from it, Lord, and I want to turn to you because you're merciful. If we're not doing that, then we need to question whether our faith is real. We don't just repent at the point of salvation, but we continue to turn away from sin. I want to turn away from sin. I want to turn towards God. Not perfectly, but we continue to do that. It's an, it's an ongoing. This is a lifestyle for genuine believers. We're to bear fruit in keeping with repentance, aren't we? So I, I repent, and now, now there's, there's to be fruit. And if you're not submitted to the Lordship of Christ, if he isn't really your Lord, then there's no repentance. You haven't repented, and, there's no, and if there's no repentance, there's no salvation. There was a verse I wanted to read. Let's see if I can grab it quickly. Sorry, just give me a second. I think it's in 2 Corinthians. Yeah. 2 Corinthians 7, verse 10 says, For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation. without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. If I continue as, as a Christian to be, I'm sorry, world, in a worldly sense, I mean, I'm not, I'm not really, there's no real repentance. You know what it's like, keep saying sorry, keep saying sorry, keep saying sorry, but there's no, there's no change. Like, bro, you've been saying sorry for like the, the last 10 years. There's not even a battle, there's no fight going on. Be careful, bro. Or sis, be careful, because your salvation may not be genuine. Your faith may not be genuine, and that will lead you to hell. It's a matter of life and death. Many of you can say that you do continue to battle with sin, and praise God for that. You continue to turn away from God, from sin, sorry, towards God. You continue to throw yourself on his mercy. And isn't that, uh, as much as we know it's imperfect, we know it's, it's, it's not as it should be, isn't it a wonderful thing to be in relationship with God and know that actually I can continue to come to him. I think one of the things we can struggle with most as believers is actually, Lord, like I mentioned earlier, surely you can't forgive me again. Surely, you can't. I've done it about a million times now. Surely. But God knows the difference between true and fake repentance, doesn't he? He knows when we're sincere. Nineveh, that wicked city full of people who hate God, murderers who love to torture, the Ninevites would often kill all the inhabitants of a town, behead everyone, and then make a pile, skin their heads and make a pile of the skulls to, to warn off anybody who would dare to come and um, oppose them. It was a good, good message to those who would want to come and oppose them, <laughs> I suppose. That would have been a scary thing, wouldn't it? 
and you think about that God has shown them grace and mercy in saving them. And we can, we might not have murdered, literally, but we may have hated. Maybe even now we're sitting here with hate. Some of you, even for me, maybe. That brother, come on, it's, it's hot in here. But we know what it is, as Christians, we know what it is to receive that grace and mercy, don't we? I mean, and know how there was nowhere else for us to turn. We know what we were like. Nobody needed to convince us that we were sinners. We look back at our lives before Christ stepped in and saved us out of the pit, and we know there was no hope. There was no rest. There was no peace. It's a wonderful place to be in to experience God's grace and mercy. Let's do that. Let's, let's run to God. Even now, you're able to do that. Turn to God. Turn away from your sin. Turn away from your struggling. Turn away from your drifting away. And just make a decision today. Say, Lord, I'm going to cry out to you. I'm going to run to you because you're merciful. Can you imagine again that you actually trusted God to step out, Sarah? in obedient faith, loving others enough to share the gospel with them. Think about what God might do. I mean, if he, if he, if he did this in Nineveh, the place where you'd least expect it, who knows what God will do as we step out in obedience to him, as we share the gospel, as we step out and we love on people, as we step out and actually we get past our comfort zone and we step into the lives of people and bring the gospel, we point them to Christ. Who knows what God will do in his mercy? Christians should be excited by a Jonah free, shouldn't we? A nice hop, let's get excited. Because we see the emphasis on God as the author of salvation. It's not, it's not to do with us. He will extend grace and mercy to all who believe. We just need to be ready to speak his words. But if we're going to speak his words, obviously his words got to be in us. We've got to spend time in his word, spend time with one another discussing God's word, not doing battle, but just sharing how God has rocked you as you read God's word, how God has been merciful to you this week, how God has been good to you this week, how God has been faithful, how God is holding your hand, how God's discipline actually is bringing about fruits of righteousness. Matthew 5, 7 think about the fact that some of us need to repent of our lack of mercy for people that we hate. That's a strong word, but it's true, isn't it? There are people that we hate. There are people that we, even as Christians, that we don't want to go and speak to. We don't want God to save them. We wouldn't maybe say it, but really that's what we're saying. Matthew 5, 7 says, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. We're to be merciful people. Finally, verse 10. And our last, last point, God's magnificent mercy. So when God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it. So as we read this, it should cause us to ask the question, does God change his mind? Is he subject to what I'm doing or what we're, what we're doing? It's because Jonah spoke for God, and there was no mention of the possibility to turn. The message basically was in 40 days, Nineveh is going to be overthrown. 
So what's the deal? Seem to be two possibilities. Either there was more to Jonah's message that we don't have here, and that somehow they knew that they'd heard from Jonah that actually, God, if you turn and you repent, then God will be merciful to you. But then in verse 9, we've got the uh, who knows. So that kind of seems to kind of go against that. It's like we're hoping in that this God is going to be merciful, but we don't know. We haven't been told. Nobody's told us. We're just hoping. And then two, the second option is that implicit within this idea of being overthrown is the condition of repentance. So Jeremiah 18, 7 to 8 says, check this out. If at any time I declare, says God, concerning a nation or a kingdom that I will pluck up and break down and destroy it, and if that nation concerning which I have spoken turns from its evil, repents, I will relent of the disaster that I intended to do to it. Intrinsic in God's nature is his mercy. Jonah knew this, which is why I think in, in chapter 4, he says that he knew that God was gracious and merciful, a God who, who relents from disaster. He, wasn't trying, he didn't really want these people to change, did he? He didn't really want them to turn to God. But he knew what God was like. So God alone is the one who is completely just when he judges. All sin, as the Bible teaches us, is against God ultimately, isn't it? We sin against God who is righteous and holy. We rebel against God. All sin is against him, is an offense to him. He has all power to judge, and yet he's not an evil dictator. He has all power. Imagine that. Even if we just had a little bit of power. You know what we're like, innit? You know, you get a remote control and you get excited. Imagine if we had a little bit of power, how we would abuse it. We may have the power, but often we're not merciful. God has the power, he's sovereign, and yet thank God he's merciful. Anybody else, it would be a terrifying thing. What that person has power in that country. Okay, we're in trouble. Why? Because they've got, they've got this power, they can make changes. Yeah, but they're not merciful. That power is going to go to their head. And I'm challenged because as someone who has experienced God's overwhelming mercy, if I'm honest, I struggle to extend that sometimes to others. Namely, particularly my, my children. Psalm 51.17 says, The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. And that word contrite is, is, is caused by or showing sincere remorse. When we're sincerely remorseful, when we're really sorry, genuinely, not like I'm really sorry, sorry, I'm sorry, yeah, I'm sorry, and I'm really sorry. When we really are sorry, when we're sincere in that, God is merciful. That should cause us to want to run to him. Think about criminals. They run from the law, don't they? Because they know that the law is going to judge them. Some of you in here like, yeah, man, I've done that a few times myself. I've been running because I wasn't trying to get judged. And I don't want to be sentenced. But there are some who, who, who criminals, that is, who say, actually, you know what, let me, I'm going I'm to chance it. Maybe if I turn myself in, maybe there will be some mercy for me. Or prisoners already in prison. The hope of mercy encourages them and helps them actually really to repent and to change and to turn. It's that hope of mercy. 
It's a, it's a foolish thing for us to run from God, as we've heard already, isn't it? God's everywhere. There's no, there's no escaping God. But it's not only foolish because he's everywhere. It's not only foolish because he's all-powerful, but I think it's in chapter 2. It talks about um, forsaking uh, the hope of steadfast love. He's a loving God. That's why it's foolish. He's, he's, he's merciful. It's not like I'm running from the law, and boy, I know if they catch me, they're going to judge me. Yes, God may bring judgment, but he's merciful along with that. If I turn, if I, if I turn to him, if I run to him, no matter what I've done, he will be merciful. That should encourage us to run to him today, no matter where we find ourselves. And if you're here today and you don't know Christ, then you, I'm afraid, are like Nineveh. You're under the judgment of God. Because like everyone in here, you've rebelled against God. We've all rebelled against God, haven't we? We've all broken God's laws. We've all made gods in our own image, made gods out of other things. We've all done, served ourselves rather than serving God. Just as God appointed a storm for Jonah and the fish to save him, he's also appointed a day for our death. It's appointed once for a man to die, then the judgment. There's a day booked where all of us are going to be judged. We're going to stand before God. God, in his grace and mercy, has sent his son as he sent Jonah. But this servant is the son of God. This servant is not rebellious. This servant does the will of the Father. This servant is sinless. So that all who believe in him will not perish but have everlasting life. Today, if you put your faith and your trust in Christ, you will be saved from God's judgment. God said, repent, turn away from living with you as your own God and believe the gospel. That's what Jesus said, repent and believe the gospel, which is the good news that God has provided a way for mankind to be saved. You don't have to come under the wrath of God because that's, that's what's coming, that's what's impending, that's what's, what we, it might be 40 days, 40 years, 400 years, but what is coming is God's judgment. And yet he's provided a way. He sent Christ, he sent Jesus, who took God's wrath, 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 on the cross, so that all who put their faith and trust in him in his death and in his resurrection. His resurrection proving that now he, this, this sacrifice is acceptable to me. And all who put their faith and their trust in him will be saved. It's not just words. It's not just another nice little sermon. This is a reality. If you put your faith and your trust in Christ today, you can be saved. Or you will pay for your own sin. And the Bible talks about eternal damnation. Run to Jesus and you will find that God has grace and mercy for sinners. Please join me as we pray. Father, we thank you so much for your grace. Lord, we thank you for your mercy. Thank you, Lord, that we, no matter where we are this morning, this afternoon, shall I say, Lord, no matter where we are, whether we're believers who are walking after you, Lord, we're being obedient, we still need your grace and your mercy. Lord, we're believers who are running from you. Lord, we need to turn and run towards you. Would you help us to do that today? Lord, or we don't, are not in relationship with you. 
We're like the Ninevites, awaiting judgment. Lord, I pray that you would help each and every person here today who doesn't know you, is not in relationship with you, who's faking it, Lord, who's pretending maybe. Lord, would you help them to, to run to you? Run to your mercy. Lord, would you give us a deeper understanding of just how gracious and merciful you are? Lord, please help us to go from this place, singing your praises, more aware, Lord, that we're able to run to you and are able to turn to you. We thank you so much for your word. Lord, thank you that it brings light. Lord, thank you that it's the truth. Thank you, Lord, that salvation isn't dependent on us even presenting a wonderful message or saying the right words, Lord, but ultimately it's your work of grace in the heart of hearers. Lord, would you do a work today in the heart of those that don't know you and in the hearts of those that do know you today, in our hearts, in my heart, Lord, would you help us to consistently turn to you for grace and mercy. In Jesus' name, amen. To find out more about us, visit our website at calvarychapelsouthlondon.org or find us on Facebook and Twitter at CC South London. Join us next time for more of God's truth to transform your reality.